0: Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life, because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello listeners, Rob Iger here. Welcome to another episode of Clear Choices. We have an amazing guest today who um, has, I think, a lot of perspective on some of the current challenges we're all experiencing in the world today. So we look forward to getting to him in a second. Before we do that, I just want to remind all of you of some of the services we provide at Clear Choices. First and foremost is uh, my coaching program. So if any of you are interested in business and entrepreneurial related coaching, life coaching, uh, you can contact me on the clearchoices.live website or at rob at robeigner.com. That's R-O-B at R-O-B-A-I-G-N-E-R.com. Would love to have a consultation with you and see if uh, some of the services I provide would be uh, of value to you. Having said that, let's talk to someone else who's going to be of value to all of us today. And that is Rabbi Zach Shapiro. He is the rabbi of Temple Akiva, which is a reform synagogue in Culver City, California. He's originally from the East Coast, Massachusetts, moved here in 1997 uh, to pursue uh the many goals that he has uh, surely accomplished already so first of all welcome uh, rabbi welcome to the show
1: thank you rob it's so great and such an honor to be here uh you are uh truly in an extraordinary soul as is your wonderful family i appreciate
0: you saying that i appreciate you saying that so um you know i'm going to just start right off with sort of the context of our show what caused you to make the choice to become a rabbi
1: there's often a, uh, an expression or a joke in Judaism, what kind of job is a rabbi for a nice Jewish boy? <laughs> uh, I knew probably from the time I was 11 that I wanted to be a rabbi. Uh, I didn't come from a long line of rabbis. My, my mother is an attorney. My father is an entrepreneur uh, trained in, ele- in electrical engineering. And I grew up in a reformed Jewish family in the Boston area many generations of Reformed Judaism in our family. And it was when I went to Reformed Jewish camp for the first time, it was called Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute, a camp in Walk, Wisconsin. I went there from Boston, and I discovered a whole new world of incredible music and camaraderie among both Jewish peers as well as counselors and older adults that I loved. It was the music I really fell in love with. And I came home that summer and I began to teach myself how to play guitar. And I became a song leader in high school and continued uh, into college. And it developed from a love of music to a love of text and an understanding that from early on that my goal in life was to help bring goodness into the world. And I had the treasures of Judaism to help guide me on that path. Now, here's what's interesting. I I knew by college that I wanted to become a rabbi, but I didn't know how that happened. So I asked my own rabbi's advice, and they said a few things. They said, first of all, don't major in Judaic studies, because then you'll graduate college and know nothing but Judaism. They said, get a good, well-rounded liberal arts education. So I majored in Spanish, and I actually spent uh, nine months in Spain and four months in Mexico during college, And I came out with a a hopefully greater worldview on on religion and on uh, on various kinds of uh, of personal issues. My rabbis also said to me, don't spend all your time reading Jewish books. Always carry a copy of great American literature as well as a copy of The New York Times with you and make sure you always have those in your back pocket. Uh, And that was great advice. And I continue to follow that as much as possible. Upon graduation from college, uh, in in my senior year of college, I went to Colby, which is in Waterville, Maine. I applied to the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. This is the reform seminary that trains professional Jewish leaders, including rabbis. And I was accepted. And a few weeks after college graduation, I was on a plane to Israel where I spent my first year of rabbinical school, followed by four years in Cincinnati, Ohio. Wow.
0: When did you have your own congregation for the first time?
1: Well, uh, so I was ordained in 1997 from Cincinnati. And during the four-year stateside, we don't really have our own congregation, but we're student rabbis in small congregations in various parts of the the country. Uh, My first year was in a small town called Ishpeming, Michigan. I would go there once a month. Uh, I also served Joplin, Missouri, Great Falls, Montana, and Texarkana, Texas. Wow. None of those were my own congregation. Uh, upon ordination, I came out to Los Angeles and I spent the first eight years of my rabbinate as the associate rabbi at university synagogue in Brentwood. Uh, I then took uh, a year away from the pulpit rabbinate. I regrouped myself. I, I did some study that year and some uh, soul searching. And then I applied for the job at Temple Akiba, which was open. And that's where I've been since 2006. Wow. 2006. So,
0: so I've known you for 14 years. That's, you that's, know me. <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. So, um, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want to hear your answer to this. So you, you said at the beginning you made the choice to become a rabbi because you wanted to have, you know, positive impact and bring light into the world. Talk to us about some of the ways
1: where that uh, choice has helped bring that to fruition. Right. Uh, there's a popular phrase and a beautiful phrase that we should perform random acts of kindness. And that's, that's beautiful. And I believe in it, but I think we need to go a step further. I think it shouldn't be random. I think it should be purposeful that we need to be purposeful in our acts of kindness and goodness. And so in addition to coming across a, an opportunity to do what's called a good deed, we should be able to wake up in the morning and say, what can I do? to make the world just a little bit better? What phone call might I make to my elected leaders? What, uh, what services can I do to those who are homeless? How can I, through my actions, eradicate racial injustice? And, and these are the kinds of things that we, we need to begin our day with some sort of checklist, saying, these are my goals. These are the kinds of things I want to be doing and not just happenstance fall upon it. And at the same time, at the end of the day, I want to look back and say, what did I see that someone else did that was good? And then have the same kind of question for ourselves. What did I do that helped bring goodness into the world? There's a Yiddish word, uh, kvetching, which means complaining. There's a lot of kvetching that goes on out there. What can we do to turn that, to create people that are... uh, feeling better about themselves and better about what they bring to the world. So that's my personal goal. That's the, that's my personal way of trying to do it. And I want to inspire other people to try to do the same thing as well.
0: So, you know, you brought up racial injustice and, you know, that leads me to think about all the, all the craziness in the world right now. You know, we're uh, in my 55 years, you know, to see a pandemic, the economic fallout of that, you know, some of the things that are going on politically, uh, and, and then the social justice uh, cause, you know, it's, it's a huge convergence of, of what I would say is, you know, possibly the most challenging time that I've seen in my life. Now, granted, I wasn't born in 1900 where I would have already been through World War I, World War II, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression. I get it. I have perspective on that. But yet for me and people my age, your age, you know, this is arguably the most challenging period we've ever been through in our life. And so I, I, I use that as a preface to ask you: With all the negativity that's out there, are you also seeing a counterbalance of more positivity? People making positive choices as a result of the negativity. How would you describe or answer that?
1: Well, it's a it's a great question, and I want to just reiterate what you so what, what you stated in such an interesting way. This year, 2020, which my gosh, ironically, 2020 has to do with clear vision. It's been the most unclear kind of year that we've experienced. My gosh, it's one thing after another. Uh, people are getting cabin fever. And then on the heels of this cabin fever, just as the world is or perhaps was beginning to open back up, we have, uh, we have racial injustice rearing its ugly head followed by... Very understandable protests and then riots it's been uh it's been a little bit crazy you're right with with the quarantine I've been witness to incredible loneliness, incredible feelings of isolation that members of our congregation that members of extended members of our family they've all expressed and we and we've seen that people are uh, are really wanting to break out of of this loneliness our our torah teaches us twice that it is not good to do things alone it's the only time the torah ever says it is not good and so th- this feeling of loneliness is really uh, is really huge that said there's these silver linings that i've seen that people are digging in deeply in new ways to build connections to to reach out uh, not only to those that uh, are perhaps long lost family members, but to those in need i've seen people who are, are increasing their volunteer work to buy groceries for those who are lonely i've seen people bagging food for the homeless uh, who had never done this before because it was never it never seemed as uh, as important an issue, but they're seeing it more and more. So the level of uh, of goodness that has deepened has been extraordinary. And so I'm very heartened to see that.
0: I think one of the things that's also become um, noticeable to me is that as negative and dark as some of these last six or eight months have been, I think people also realize they're more resilient than they think they always thought they were. You know, you have people like, you know, myself included, and I, I consider myself quite a resilient person to begin with, partially because of my parents, you know, lessons to me, um, you know, but, I, but if you would have said, hey, you're going to go through all this in 2020, you know, I think I would have been like, oh my God, that's going to be, over. I'm going to crumble. Like, that's going to be overwhelming. That's going to be too much. And, right. and not only for myself, but I noticed with everyone around me, even my kids, you know, they're, everyone is more resilient than they think they are. And this right. moment in time I think has taught us that. So there, that's another positive realization I've had for everybody, for all of us.
1: Right. Uh, let me add to that because th- th- there's two parts to it. One is that it things like this show us that we're weaker than we thought. We all thought we were very strong and it, and it reveals a weakness, a vulnerability. But at the same time, it does exactly what you just suggested, what you just shared. And that is that it uh, it also reveals that we are stronger than we ever thought we could be. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes from one to the other. And once that weakness perhaps is exposed because we thought we were invincible, all of a sudden we're able to dig in and find that strength that we never realized was there.
0: You know, something I've heard a lot of people say lately, and I agree with everything you just said, I've heard a lot of people say that not that they wish ill on others, but because we are all in this boat together, like whether you're a multimillionaire or you're at the poverty line or, you know, you've got family or you don't, uh, regardless of someone's situation, like this is an equal opportunity challenge that we're all going through. And so we're all, our, our challenges might be different, but they're all increased, and 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 that's providing comfort for everyone I speak to, my friends and business associates. And there's comfort in knowing that we're all in this together. We're all right. challenged by this together.
1: A- absolutely right. It's uh, go- go- globally across every uh, economic uh, economic uh, strata across every. Uh, every nationality and, uh, and color of skin, it doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: So I, so I have a little bit of a pivot. I mean, it's not unrelated to what we're talking about, but obviously, um, the black lives matter movement and, and all the social justice issues that are coming up are, uh, are important. And of course we, uh, we all wish to see positive change in that regard. And I'm not trying to steal from the spotlight on that at all, but how do you, um, how do you juxtapose or how do you feel about what's going on currently now as it relates to anti-Semitism? How, you know, what are the parallels there for you see? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? Talk to us a little bit about your choices around dealing with that part of our story.
1: Right. It's complicated, but uh, I, I want to share a couple of thoughts on this. You know, there was a time uh, in the earlier part, or the mid and earlier part of the 20th century, where it was not uncommon to go to a a space where it said no, no blacks, no Jews, no dogs, and uh, usually in that order. And the experience that many in America have had uh, has has been as a second class citizen. And there are often those who say we need to go back to the glory days of the 1950s. It was only glorious if you were white, male, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, straight. And there's certainly a an understanding and a camaraderie about being strangers in in the same place. And so, in many ways, the Jewish experience, the Black experience in America, has had parallels. And there have been times that uh, that we've been marching with one another. There have been times that we haven't. Listen to one another closely enough. And, uh, and I think we're now in a point in history where, where we really have to have the conversations to understand what's going on, to, to reach out and to do as much as we can to, uh, to be a listening ear, to try to understand the stories that the other person is sharing. Rob, I'm, re- I'm reminded of a, of a very important midrash. A midrash is a, a story based on Torah. And this goes back to the very beginning of creation. And the Midrash teaches that it's impossible for one person to ever say, my people is greater than your people. Well, why? Because if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, then we all come from the same family. And there's no way, therefore, to say that my family, my people is superior in any way to yours, because we're all descendant from those uh, from that same first family, and I share this whether or not you look at the story of creation and believe that's how it happened, because it doesn't matter uh, whether you believe that's how it happened or you or you don't. The truth behind that story is important for all of us. We can't look at another person and, based on their color, their religion, whatever, say that we are better than you
0: so that brings up a, a great question i think and that is as a as a leader of a you know a religious congregation as a community leader i'm sure maybe within your own flock or as certainly out in the world you've come across uh people that you're leading that you know maybe has a less tolerant view than you think is useful so how do you choose to address that how do you deal with that when you're when you're when you're faced with it
1: right so I think I've dealt with, I've personally dealt with it in many ways over the past uh, 23 years of my rap and it probably some ways more successfully than others. I found for the most part that when I come across someone who uh, I don't see eye to eye with, I have to have a conversation. I have to have a one-on-one, let's sit down over coffee and, and talk about this. And I found that when when we have a real meeting and when we get to know a person and not just float an idea, uh, things that are theoretical can shift to things that are personal. Look, as a, as a gay rabbi, there were many people who didn't understand me, who didn't understand gay rabbinic leadership. And I would, as much as possible, invite them for coffee or to sit in my office and just have a conversation. Because what I found is that people can. Argue over Facebook and on social media, all different kinds of things. But when you sit down and have a real conversation with someone you don't see eye to eye with, that's where real change can begin, because you build these bridges. And this is whether it is about uh, gay issues, it's Democrats, Republicans, it's it's any kind of issue that's on other on two different sides of a fence. When you have that real conversation, eye to eye. Then uh, that's where change begins.
0: So uh, thank you for that. It's very very wise words. So you know your your husband Ron Galperin, City Controller of Los Angeles. You guys are I would say technically you qualify as a power couple. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They say, they say that you're not supposed to, they say that there are two things you're not supposed to discuss at the dinner table. Uh, one is politics, one is religion.
0: You guys and, are uh, screwed. You guys are totally screwed. <laughs> There's nothing to talk
1: about. And <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's,
0: uh, no, it's just who we are. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's awesome. So do you feel like, you know, when you think about what you do and what your husband does, you know, it's kind of like it, when I think about it, I think about like how athletes are sometimes put in a position of having a platform. I feel like you guys together and separately have a platform, and so does that make you think a little bit differently how you choose to live and how you choose to how you choose to be because of the roles that you guys both have in the
1: world? It's a really interesting question. I mean, let, let, let's take us separately for a moment. If If I were a rabbi and Ram were a private citizen, that on its own, we still have a public persona. And there are uh, people will always be looking. If I bump into them at the grocery store, what's the rabbi buying? Uh, There's always that. It's the same for the controller. If Ram were an elected official and I were not a a rabbi, uh, people would also have that. So when you put the two of us together, it can become a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more amplified in that way. That said, we as a couple, we, we maintain a tremendous amount of privacy among the, the two of us, even though we are both in fairly public positions. Uh, because Ron is the first openly gay elected citywide official, that in and of itself is a statement, whether he speaks about that regularly or not. And he does speak about it on a fair amount. That's shocking
0: to me that in a city like Los Angeles, he's the first citywide elected official that's gay. I can't believe that.
1: At, at least the first out one uh, that, that we know of. Right. Uh, there, have, there have been other city of LA gay elected officials, but none citywide. Mm-hmm. And just for clarity, there are three citywide elected officials, the mayor, the city attorney, and the city controller. Got uh, it. For me, uh, even if I never spoke publicly about gay issues, by virtue of the fact that I'm a married gay rabbi with twins, that becomes a that becomes an an issue. Uh, some people have said it's a political issue. Well, no, it, it's it's not a political issue. Some people make politics out of it, but uh, but for us, it's it's who we are.
0: So I'm I'm really glad you brought up something that I didn't have on my list of questions, and that is that. As a 49-year-old, as a you have elected to surrogate two, two babies. So you have recently added uh, two to your household. How's that been going?
1: It has been uh, an incredible journey. Uh, yes, I, I, I'm 49. I, I'm no longer in my 20s or 30s. I'm barely in my 40s anymore. And at this chapter in our lives, we finally, after many, many years of talking about it, brought these delightful children into the world. Uh, what we've realized is while we may not have the energy of 20-year-olds, we hopefully have just a little bit of uh, of life experience under our belts to to give these children lots of love and knowledge and hopefully a little bit of wisdom as well. One of the silver linings of the pandemic is that I get to see these babies every single day all day long rather than uh, when I'm at Temple Akiba or doing uh, more kinds of activities that require me, me to be on the road uh, when i can 't see them, this has given us the opportunity to be there at every moment of their incredible growth so what uh, what was it
0: about what was it about this time in your life that allowed you to make this choice that you'd been contemplating for a long time? right
1: uh, There are a number of things that came together we we've been wanting children for a long time. We weren't getting any younger. Ron's parents had died, both of them, within the past five or six years. And we realized that, that we, we couldn't be the end of the line. We, we had a deep yearning, la dor vador, generation to generation, to continue our families. My parents, who are both doing very well, uh, have been pressing us to have kids for a long time my father at one point even said that we should have two surrogates and have four children altogether uh and i said dad uh that that's not quite in the cards but i i loved his enthusiasm to uh to have more grandchildren
0: and um so as a do you, do you feel like being a father i know they're they're still very young but do you think being a father has already changed the way you lead in the community
1: yeah. it's uh, so, uh, Maya and Eli are now uh, ten months old. Uh, time is going by very quickly, and it it's absolutely changed my focus on what's really important, uh, on what family means, on what uh, what my own focus in the world is. People last year on the high holy days, it was right after they were born, they said, oh my gosh we've it's only been a month, and we've noticed a real change." and in your messaging and your leadership and yeah and it's not that they've softened me although they have a little bit it's that they it's that they've repurposed me Mm -hmm. i i I, and they've also forced me to have different kinds of time management skills (laughs) that's that's unquestioned every parent relates to that right (laughs) rob as a as a father of two growing boys you get that every single day absolutely
0: so uh, i'm going to completely pivot um I'm curious how you would answer this question, and that is when people in your congregation, um, we'll just start with there, it doesn't have to be in the congregation, but when people come to you and they are faced with a dilemma and they want your guidance on it. So it might be about, you know, someone who's has health issues in their family and how to deal with that, or, you know, it's about marriage or it's about certain, you know, just certain life choices choices that they want your guidance on. How do you guide people? How do you lead in terms of helping others make choices,
1: important right. choices? Right. It's a, it's a really important question. It's a really important question because uh, every couple, every individual is a little bit different. I try as hard as I can to encourage them, if it's a, if it's a couple, to have a conversation with me. And I want to hear how they communicate with each other, if it's a couple. I want to give them the opportunity to be reflective with one another, to to make sure they're, they're actively listening, and that they're also learning how to be direct and even assertive in the way they share their needs with their loved ones. Rob, I also know my limitations. There are many marriage counselors and therapists out there who, if I know that that someone comes to me that it's beyond what I may be able to help with, I'll certainly refer them to those who could be helpful in specific areas. If it's an individual who's coming, who is going through a difficult life moment, it's very similar. I encourage them to, to have a conversation with me. I want to listen as much as possible. I want to allow them to express as best they can what is going on in their souls and sometimes it'll be reflective sometimes we'll come up with an action plan Uh, most of the time people need an opportunity to have someone to listen to them and i as a rabbi need to balance how much am i doing purely listening and how much do i gently guide them toward looking at something from a different perspective
0: Yeah, in my world in the business space we talk a lot about coaching people versus consulting and you have to sometimes choose you know the consultant goes, "How much of this activity do you feel like you need to do to achieve your result?" And the coach says, "You need to do this much of that activity," and right. and so, and so, sometimes one is appropriate over the other, but you have to really kind of listen to your point to figure
1: out which one you need to guide Absolutely. towards. Absolutely, and 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 there are some people that really need direct guidance, but most of the time it's people. Who need the opportunity to be self-reflective? Yeah, to be heard. Right.
0: Yeah, no, I right. appreciate that. A uh, couple things before we we wrap up. Are there any particular causes, whether it's through the temple or on your own, that you're really um, uh, you know pushing right now, or that you're in, engaged in, or that you want to share with the the audience?
1: Historically, my causes have been about the progressive voice of Judaism in Israel. And uh, I, I, I really care about uh, Israel's future, what Israel does, and, uh, and making sure that, that Reform Judaism has an active voice in Israel. Uh, I care so very much about hearing the remnant voices of Holocaust survivors and collecting their stories and listening to their stories, because Rob, as you well know, that generation is almost gone, and it's incumbent upon us to to carry that torch so uh, th- those are two of course very important Jewish causes I'm on the board of over of uh, excuse me I'm on the board of governors for the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion this is my rabbinic alma mater and this is the organization, the school that trains Jewish professionals. I care very much about the student experience, I care about the continuation of Reform Judaism in America. So that's why I'm involved with this. With regard to a lot of the political issues that are going on right there and causes, uh, there's a lot that I care about, but even more than the causes, I care that people get out and vote. Mm. And people may, uh, I support people marching, I support people protesting, but if they don't march themselves to the voting booth, not only in November, but for every local election as well, then those marches mean less. They, the The marches will mean will mean so much more if those active people will make sure that they get out and vote. I'll I'll cap this, and this is timely at least for when this is being recorded. Uh, in a couple of days is the Fourth of July, and my grandpa Phil, every year on the Fourth of July, would gather his family on a phone call and read us the Declaration of Independence. And he would say, kids, don't ever forget that your parents, that your great-grandparents didn't have the right to vote. And they came to this country because they had rights they could never mentioned in the old country. So don't ever take your rights in this country for granted. And grandpa would, would share as, as many problems as we often face in our country, and there are lots of them. We still have the right to vote, and we don't ever want to give that up.
0: I love that. I love that's a very important and timely statement for sure. And, and before I wrap it up, I just want to say that, um, and I think the listeners will understand now that they've got to know you. uh, I was just so pleased and honored that um, we got to celebrate my my younger son's bar mitzvah recently through you um, just in June. And uh, you know, that was a choice for us of like, do we want to continue on with this celebration during a time where the celebration can't occur in its normal way. And I'm so glad we made that choice. I feel like, you know, we, we allowed our son to do his, his uh, bar mitzvah when it was scheduled to be done. And we brought a little bit of joy into the world. And, um, and that wouldn't have happened without your, without your leadership. So we really appreciate that.
1: Rob, uh, your your family is an extraordinary family. Both of your boys uh, did such great jobs on their b'nai mitzvah each of them on his bar mitzvah and they they brought strength poise and and humor and goodness and especially with micah uh bringing light into a very difficult time he just went above and beyond and it was awesome
0: yeah and i i appreciate you saying that and i know that today's episode will do the same for everyone who's listening so i Thank you so much for being a guest on the show, Rabbi. Uh, This has been another episode of Clear Choices. And once again, I'll just remind you, if you're interested in any uh, one-on-one coaching, please contact me at uh, clearchoices.live. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.